0: Hi, everyone. Well, normally we would hold our communion and community Sunday today, but we are unable to, which is a pretty big bummer. And in thinking about how strange and unnatural and disappointing it's going to feel to not gather and share a meal together, I really found myself returning to a question, and that is, what in the world is God doing? What in the world is God doing in my life what in the world is God doing in our church, and our community? And then very literally, what in the world is God doing in and through this pandemic? And as I prayed and reflected on that question, some scriptures about wine came to mind. Now, I'd been preparing to continue on with the Genesis series this week, but As I continued to ponder and pray, I kept having pictures of grapes and wine pop up the more I prayed and scriptures around wine and winemaking and the symbolism of wine just kept coming to the forefront. And it kind of caused me to do a bit of a deep dive earlier in the week around wine and the Bible and how it's talked about and what it's symbolic of and Wine is often celebrated in the Bible as a gift from God that gladdens the heart. Psalm 104 talks about that. Now, maybe for most of us, the verses that condemn the abuse of wine, which is drunkenness, those might come to the forefront of, of our minds because those are repeated throughout Scripture. Right, Drunkenness has all kinds of concentric circles of destructive effects. But wine is also, in the Old and New Testament, celebrated, and it's understood to be symbolic of the joy and blessings that come from God, the giver of all good gifts. But one of the things that was interesting is as I was looking up these passages and thinking through them in the present context, in light of the present context, I began to see that in the New Testament, specifically, wine is also used as a metaphor for the Christian life. One of the uh, scriptures pretty early in the week that came to my mind right away as I was thinking through this question of what in the world is God doing, was Philippians 2.7. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul who is isolated in prison himself, you know, can can anyone relate to that right now? He compares himself and his circumstances to that of wine being poured out for the blessing of others. He says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. Now he uses that line drink offering. What does that mean? Well, A drink offering is a throwback to a part of a worship ritual in the Old Testament where a small quantity of wine would be poured on a sacrifice, a grain sacrifice or a meat sacrifice, and it was used as an acknowledgement, a worshipful acknowledgement, that all of the blessings of the earth were from God. Nearing the end of his ministry, Paul invokes again, Um, wine as a metaphor for his life and ministry. He says, like wine, he's being poured out in worship to God. He says in 2 Timothy 4.6, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. And so as I continue to explore the theme of wine in the Bible things really began to kind of come together in my mind and heart. And as I was sitting with everything that I've been hearing from other people, as I've been connecting and just touching base with people through this time, as I sat with what I've been experiencing and let the scriptural themes about wine tumble around in my head, I kind of began to realize something. Whatever else God is doing in and through this time, we can say one thing with great confidence that God is making wine. And that's really, really good news. And so I want to explain that. There are five steps in the wine making pro- uh, process harvesting, crushing, fermenting, clarifying, and then bottling. So there's five steps, harvesting, crushing, fermenting, clarifying, and bottling. I want to explain each. Harvesting, pretty simple. It's where you're just getting the grapes off the vine. You're just harvesting the individual grapes and clusters of grapes. Second stage is the crushing stage. Crushing the whole clusters of fresh, ripe grapes is traditionally That next step. Now today we have mechanical crushers that can perform the time-honored tradition that many of us probably have seen, which is the tradition of stomping or trotting the grapes into what's called the must. And for thousands of years, it was men and women who performed the harvest dance and barrels and presses during this process. Third stage is fermenting stage. And this time of fermentation is kind of the secret sauce of wine. This is where the magic happens. If left to its own devices, the must that's the, uh, resultant from the crushing phase, it will begin to ferment naturally within about 6 to 12 hours. And the fermentation phase can require anywhere from 10 days to a month or more. Now, once that fermentation stage is completed the clarification process begins, or sometimes called purification. And so winemakers have the option of racking or siphoning their wines from one tank or barrel to the next in the hope of leaving the precipitates and solids called pumice on the bottom of the fermenting tank. And so then what happens is the clarified wine is racked into another vessel where it's ready to be bottled. And so the final stage of wine involves the aging and bottling of the wine. And so after clarification, the winemaker has the choice of bottling a wine immediately, which is the case for a wine called Bijoulet Nouveau, or he or she can give a wine additional aging, as in the case of Grande Cru Bordeaux or a Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. Further aging can be done in bottle, can be done in a stainless steel container, ceramic tank, large wooden ovals, small barrels. In fact, there's a huge degree of choices and techniques that can be employed during this final stage. And that's why there are a tremendous variety of wines because it's often in this final stage that um, some of the nuances between the wines and uh, within even certain subtypes of wines are created. But irrespective of of those nuances, the common result that comes about from this final stage is wine that people get to enjoy. Now, when I was researching this and looking at it and considering it in light of everything else that I was processing, I realized that if you look at the five stages of winemaking, they correlate to five pretty distinct Seasons or stages within our spiritual growth as a Christian, right? You've got the harvesting stage, which is conversion when we turn our lives over to Jesus, put ourselves in the Master's hands, so to speak. There's the crushing phase or pressing phase. These are times or seasons of testing and trials, difficulty. There's the fermentation stage. These are the stages where, frankly, not a lot is happening. And a lot of what is required from us is patient faithfulness as we wait upon God. Then there's the clarification phase or purification phase where God is removing certain impurities from our lives. Then there's the aging and bottling phase where we are being prepared in a unique way to be sent out into the world to be a source of blessing to other people. Now, at any given time, As a Christian, you're moving through at least one of these processes. Often, we're going through more than one at a time, or maybe one particular process is happening in this part of our life where another process is happening in a different part. And once God does a work in us in one stage, we may move on to a different one, but then return to a time of crushing, for example, because of new developments that have happened or a new preparation that is needed. So I don't want to talk about these stages as if they're something that spiritually you just sort of move through, you complete, and you progress through them linearly. But I like these stages because they kind of give me a framework for understanding, A, what is God up to in the big picture of our lives, and understanding and naming these stages can help us to orient ourselves to the present challenges that we're walking through. Right? If you know, for example, that in response to the question, what is God doing in the world? What is God doing in my life right now? While that question can come from a place of confusion, we can know that in our particular circumstances, God is making wine That's good news. God is taking some basic raw elements, right? The grape, and he is seeking to transform it to be a conduit of his blessing. And so just knowing that should encourage and strengthen us and cause us to see ourselves and our circumstances differently. One of the great promises of scripture is found in Romans 8.28. Many of us probably know it. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that means that while we often can't see the particular ways God is using difficult times like the present one, while we're in the moment, every Christian can know, can settle into the reality that God is up to something good, that in all circumstances, including a pandemic, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I think there's something really, really important that I want to draw our attention to. Often, as we're moving through hard, difficult times, as we're moving through these stages of Um, winemaking and transformation. We can often feel alone. Maybe we're in a season of crushing or pressing, and we can feel like we're the only one. We look around, and from our vantage point, everyone else in the church is doing fine. Everyone else seems happy. Our friendship circle seems relatively undisturbed, but we're going through this very difficult time, and that can be very isolating. The gift of this present moment is that we are all going through this together. And in some ways, for me, pastorally, that's really exciting. Because think about what that means. Just in the context of our church, forget about the churches of Nelson, around the world, just for Nelson Covenant Church. It means that God has us all in this wine-making process at the same time. Which means he's not just interested in making a cup of wine here or there. He's making barrelfuls. Now, I really believe we're going to look back on this time as a church and see God's hand powerfully move through it. I'm really confident that God is going to use this time to do a work in every single person in our church individually, but also as a church that is going to be a part of a larger revival that is going to be established in a Nelson and beyond. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word revival. This is what I mean by revival. A revival is where sleepy, dopey-eyed Christians wake up, where people who think they are Christians actually turn their lives over to Christ fully and sincerely. And those who don't know Christ seek and find him with a spiritual desperation and fervency that is unmatched. I really believe this is going to be a turning point for our church, and I pray that it is for all the churches in Nelson and all the churches of Canada. But I believe that it's going to be a turning point for our church, because during these awkward and difficult, isolating, frustrating times, God is harvesting. That first step of the process is rolling. God is harvesting. I know God is using this time to reveal to those who have built their lives on sand that their foundations will not sustain them through the times ahead. I know people right now who are reaching out to me, to other pastors, to Christians in their lives for information on the Christian faith with a focus and a fervor they have never known before. I know right now there are people who are crying out to Jesus, who only a few weeks ago only use that name as an expletive. I know there are people right now who understand they could be on death's door next week. And so some of these larger haunting questions that surround death and eternity are causing them to seriously reconsider their arrogant rejection and dismissal of God. And I'm confident there are people in our churches who realize that they've been playing fast and loose with God, and they need to turn from their casual Christianity and give their lives to Jesus. God is harvesting. But God is also allowing a time of crushing and pressing. This is very clearly a time of trials and testing. But I want you to remember something. You can't go from fruit to wine without the wine press. You can't go from fruit to wine without the wine press. Now, in the moment, to the grape, the wine press feels destructive, right? But it's actually creative. It's actually transformative. It unleashes new potential, A new creation emerges in the context of the crushing and the pressure. Now, right now, there are pressing and crushing forces that all of us are feeling. They're real. They're significant. But we've got to respond to them through the eyes of faith. James 1 is counseling Christians on how they're supposed to understand and receive and respond to times of testing. And he says, I want you to consider it pure joy, just like capital J, joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James is like the default position for a Christian when they move into times of crushing and pressing, is to consider that joy. Not that the crushing and the pressure is the joy, but because you know that God is going to use it powerfully for good in your life. It's going to produce something that couldn't have been produced without the crushing and the pressure. And that's why you can only have joy you can only have anticipatory joy during times of pressure and crushing if you know, A, that the crushing and the crushing isn't going to be forever, and that B, that God is with you through it, and that C, God has an end game that's going to cause you to look back and say, Wow. Like, look what God did in my life. Look what God did in our life. Look what God did in our church. Look at the way he used that time of pressure and crushing to such good ends. It's beyond anything we could have asked for or imagined. Now, I don't want to sugarcoat this. You live long enough, you understand, like I do, that in the place of crushing and pressing, it can feel like you're dying. It's a dark place. But there's a difference between being buried and being planted. And the seasons of difficulty that God leads us into as his church are never burial plots. They are garden seedbeds. The seasons of difficulty that God leads us into as his people are never burial plots, but are garden seed beds. Now, when you're in that moment of crushing and pressing, it is tempting to want it all just to go away, right? I want all the pressure that I'm currently facing just to be done with, right? If God is good, wouldn't he just take it all away? But as someone has noted, to keep a seed from being planted is to condemn the seed to never realize its God-given potential. The fact is that seeds are meant to be covered in order to die. Jesus said in John chapter 12, "...truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself." Right? He's saying essentially its potential is squandered. It just is a seed. But if it dies it produces much fruit. See, that's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119.71, my suffering was good for me because it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. I like the message paraphrase of it. Uh, It reads, my troubles turned out all for the best because they forced me to learn from God's textbook. I don't know if you can relate to that. I can relate to that. I feel like I'm in a season where I am being forced because of some of the pressure to learn from God's textbook. This is also going to be a turning point in our church because we are in a time of fermenting. God is fermenting his church. I want to read you a quote from someone that I read this week. When it comes to winemaking, the fermentation stage is nothing more than a waiting area for the grapes. They've already been crushed, and now grapes find themselves in an aspect of the process where there is no pain, so to speak. It's in this transitory moment of waiting that God is preparing you for the next step. See, after allowing us to be crushed and pressed God exercises his grace by allowing us to ferment in the stillness of transition so that we might be ready for the next stage. The fermentation stage requires a lot of waiting. Full confession, I don't like waiting for things. I'm guessing most of you don't either. It's frustrating. But I also know after walking with Jesus for a number of decades, that God does some of his most important work during times of waiting and frustration in our lives. It's in these times when our life seems to literally be on pause or stuck that God is working on our character in a way that is precise and acute and powerful. Yes, these times are um, dark, they can feel very lonely, but we can't rightfully ask God to skip out on the development of our character simply because we're uncomfortable sitting and waiting in a dark, uncomfortable place. There are places of waiting and seemingly invisible preparation that the seed needs to transition to what it can become. And that's the same for us as individuals. And that pattern holds true for our own walk with Christ within our marriages, in our families, jobs. Now, What I think is interesting about the fermentation stage is irrespective of all the other stages, we are all in this stage right now by virtue of this uh, pandemic soft lockdown. We are all trusting in the dark. We're all waiting. The plans and purposes that you and I presumed would be coming together over Easter and then looking ahead to the spring and the summer, those have all been scrapped. So here we are in our homes and we're sitting and waiting trying to carve out some new rhythms but we are in this state of limbo we're neither a grape we're not wine yet we are just being asked to wait it's a time of fermentation it's a time of development it's a time of change that is so subtle it's almost imperceptible to us and we're being asked asked to lean into this time all without a blueprint blueprint for what comes next. And it's during times like these that we must trust that something bigger is being grown in us as a church. And as we worship God, as we spend more and deeper and greater time in his word and in prayer we can trust that something very, very good is being incubated in the invisible realities that we can't see. Another thing that God is doing this during this time that correlates with the winemaking process is he is clarifying or purifying. And in this stage and in this context, in these seasons in our lives, God isn't so much um, confronting the sin in our life. That sometimes can be a bit more of the crushing and pressure stage where God is doing an overt work to get us to see and to turn from sin. But this clarification stage is much more about God beginning to tailor our life down, begin to prune it down to only what we need for where God is taking us in the next chapter of our journey, right? This is where we kind of are gently but very firmly led into a spring cleaning of our lives. And this happens as we reflect and pray, as we confess, as we engage with people around us. God begins to help us realize that there are things that are maybe good, that they've helped us get where we are, but for what God has for us in the future, we need to let go of them. So it's it's different from a stage where God calls us to turn from sin. Here we're being called to turn from distractions to the little things that run interference on our calling from God. We're in this stage, we're kind of trying to strain out a lot of the bloat that even if it's good is keeping us from a purer and more devoted walk with Christ. And I can already see how God is using this present pandemic season to reveal those impurities in my life where I've just kind of accumulated in the same way that over the course of your life, you just kind of accumulate stuff, right? And the garage gets full and then maybe you have to start getting storage lockers and stuff that can happen to our soul as well. And this is a time where I think for a lot of us, God is seeking to clarify and purify us from not necessarily bad things, but just too much clutter of the soul, clutter of the mind, clutter of the heart. And then the end game in all of this is that final stage that God wants to age us to maturity and to bottle us and to send us out into the world. That's what you do in the final stage of winemaking. You prepare the wine and you package it so that it can be sent out to be enjoyed. And that's God's end game in all of this. For you to be prepared and sent out to be a conduit of blessing. Now, right now, we need to stay put, right? We have maybe a very limited circle of social interaction, but it's very, very limited. Most of us are seeking, I think, to do the loving and caring thing and stay at home as much as possible. But one day, we are going to be given the green light to recommence our lives, to get out there, to play at parks, to interface at the office, to high-five each other as we walk by. I want to ask you how you're going to emerge from your time of isolation when that time comes? When these kind of quarantines are lifted and you are sent out into the world, who is it that you're going to be emerging as? Are you going to reemerge as a fine wine, ready to be a renewed source of blessing to those around you in ways that you couldn't have been a month ago or six months ago? because the alternative is you could emerge as a spoiled bad batch of wine that is just off and is very unappealing see whether or not you surrender to God's wine making process during this time right now day by day that's going to determine how you are sent out in the future i want us to be a church of fine wine That we allow God, by his grace, to do a work in and through us so that when our church, and I'm talking about our people, not the building, our church re-engages the world, we do so as transformed people. So let's come back to that question that started it all for me. What in the world is God doing? Well, right now, I can say with confidence, God is making wine in your life. So trust Him. And trust the process, even when it is difficult and hard. And give thanks to Him, even in the fermenting stages, even in the crushing spaces and places in your life. Because God is making wine. And that mean, means that God is preparing for a party. And so let's look forward to a day where we're going to be able to come together and party together and enjoy the new blessings that God will have brought about in and through this church. So as you go, family and friends of Nelson Covenant Church, may your heart be strengthened by the truth that in these difficult times, God is up to something profoundly good. May you trust his process of winemaking, even during times of darkness and difficulty, and may he use all of these processes to bring about revival in our hearts, in Nelson, and across the world for his glory and the world's good. And may the love of God the Father, the grace of God the Son, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all this week. God bless.